0: Welcome to Discograffiti, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm Dave Gebro. And I'm Joe Kennedy. First, I want to take this opportunity. uh, I don't uh, get to kind of slow things down and just make these mentions where they need to go. I need to demonstrate a badly needed show of gratitude. Um, You know, it's hard to describe just how much fun it is to put together these shows. It's also completely and utterly ridiculous how much work goes into it. We listen to all these records. I don't care how familiar we, we are with it. Uh, I don't let myself off the hook. I know Joe doesn't. Um, the amount of intense uh, fact-checking and research is, is nuts. Most of my notes for each and every episode average about 50 pages. Tonight's is, I believe, 47 um, so you can imagine how it felt about about 20 episodes in when we started seeing a significant spike in our audience um, but the stress in our lives that just remains heart attack level intense at most times and yet somehow we are okay this guy graffiti is okay tonight's guest who shall remain unnamed for the moment is okay so I want to thank Joe Cravino and Daniel Gill and my beautiful wife Jen and my parents Bob and Elaine Joe's wife, Sarah, and, of course, my best friend, Joe Kennedy. Of course, thank you so much to my little guy, Mason, and to Joe's little guy, Elliot. And then there's our core audience, the diehards, the ones who listen to the episodes the second their phone dings on Sunday night. You know who you are. And on a side note, yet a very prominent and relevant note, if you can prove you do that, we will definitely do a shout-out on the air of your name and your favorite album. But mostly, thank you for the music. It's my favorite place to go. It's our favorite place to go. Thanks for going there with us. We couldn't do this without the entire lot of you. And now we're going to launch into a new segment we've started that I'm very excited about. We, um, uh, you know, in in trying to kind of source out and connect the dots on this music obsessive community that is already extant. Uh, we are starting a new segment called Record Store Corner. So this week's sponsor that's uh, joining in the fray is an amazing store in Austin, Texas called Waterloo Records and Video, the, the premier uh, independently owned and operated record store in Austin, Texas, as well as a co-founder of Record Store Day.
1: Well, yeah, Waterloo's an institution in Austin. I've been there many times. I spent many years on the road uh, touring and pretty much every tour you do goes through Austin. And pretty much every time I'm in Austin, I at least try to drop by Waterloo. I've been there dozens of times. You've spent a year. tremendous amount of money. I've spent plenty of money at Waterloo over the last 20 years. Um, and it's, a, it's one of the classic great record stores. The, um, the owner, America. John Kuntz, you
0: probably put his kid through college.
1: Um, well, I, I maybe paid for like... A, a you know, sandwich. <laughs> a couple of weeks of the meal plan in college. <laughs> right,
0: right. Well, you know, I unfortunately have never been to, uh, to Austin. I've never been in South Texas, but, um, I've heard nothing but rave reviews about the place from Joe, from, uh, from Elijah Wood, uh, from, from others who've been, and this, this past April fool's day, Waterloo celebrated their 40th anniversary with 40 consecutive years of being voted Austin's best record store. Uh, and actually being singled out by, uh, by Brooklyn Vegan, the BBC, Rolling Stone, and a little rag called the New York Times.
1: Yeah, Waterloo has a huge inventory. Um, they have something for everybody, you know, lovingly curated um, by their staff. Um, you know, it's just a classic, you know, institution of a record shop.
0: And just like uh, Fingerprints, who we, uh, you know, sponsored us last week, their in-stores are insane. I mean, like, you know, the kind of in-stores that uh, you'd find at a theater Uh, you know you got uh, Los Lobos Bruno Mars a little band called Nirvana Gary Clark Jr Emmylou Harris and Jimmy Cliff Um, you know
1: I played there I didn't enjoy there did you really? I did at least one maybe more than one but at at least one Uh, who did you play with there? that was also with Pete Yorn. that was
0: Pete Yorn. awesome awesome man Um, well listen enough yapping for me definitely uh, head up to waterloorecords.com featuring over 200,000 music selections um, and that is uh, going to hold you in good stead. Waterloo records and video where music still matters. Uh, but anyway, back to business. You guys need to know just how seriously we take this nonsense.
1: This guy graffiti is heavily researched, and the music is always reassessed with fresh ears. And we're
0: not just covering albums. Uh uh-uh. uh. We do a searingly honest deep dive analysis of all EPs, singles, contracts, relevant solo work, and bootlegs.
1: All releases are rated on a zero to five
0: star scale, objectively rated. That's right. There's no other way to rate things. That allows us all to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc.
1: Today on Discog Graffiti, we will be turning the spray cans on Todd Rundgren.
0: Mm, Wizkid soars behind the boards, turn deep REM snores because I'm so bored. Okay, our guest this morning is a prodigiously talented boy child of incomparable aesthetic temperament. Sure, he's a musician, but he's also a songwriter, a record producer, an engineer, and an actor. He's best known, however, as the multi-instrumentalist Vunderkind from indie rock duo Foxygen, which he formed with his childhood friend and eventual sparring partner Sam France back in 2005. After releasing four albums with Foxygen, this afternoon's guest, began producing a dizzying flurry of albums for other artists, including The Killers, The Lemon Twigs, Tim Heidecker, Whitney, Father John Misty, and Wise Blood. In 2018, Billboard called him one of indie rock's most in-demand producers, and Rolling Stone called him an analog fetishist who's become a producer of choice for a particular breed of like-minded indie pop artists, Tonight's guest is married to singer songwriter Jackie Cohen. So, ladies, back the fuck off with all due respect. This guy knows the treasures available to those that dig deep, and dig deep he does, goddammit. Fellow soldiers of sound, will you please feel grateful to Discograffiti that we have served up a great big old helping of Foxygen's Oxygen and fellow music obsessive, Jonathan Rado? Hello, everybody. That's the ticket.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you chose Todd. We kind of collaborate with our guests on this, and that was the one you threw out there, and I was just thrilled.
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of someone. That was a great intro, by the way. Thank you. It was well-deserved. I am an analog fetishist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I, I was trying to think of someone whose discography I know well enough and have listened to Enough to maybe be able to talk about it for possibly a couple hours without having to do hours and hours of listening again to everything, so my, my the only person I think that I can do that with is Todd Run.:
1: <laughs> Well, usually, at the beginning of the show, we do a little kind of like we have a little discussion about like what this artist means to us. And um, I'd like to go ahead and start that today. You know, I was born in April of 1972. Um, Todd Rundgren's Something Anything came out in February 1972, two months before I was born. It was my then um, 22-year-old dad's favorite record. So he used to rock me to sleep to that record. You know, he was a singer himself, and um, he'd be on the road a lot when I was a little kid so whenever he'd come home it was like a really exciting time to see him and he was really kind of just like a kid himself he's so young um but he would come home from the road and we would just do fun shit like all the time it was kind of like you know i have really idyllic memories um of that like period in the 70s just hanging out with him and like like going to amusement parks and eating ice cream and watching sports and like listening to records and going to movies um and um, Todd was really something we really bonded over. I have, it's like the, the early, especially Something Anything, those early records are really like printed on my brain in a way that's like really kind of profound. It's like what like music is supposed to sound like to me. Um, and, um, you know, just being exposed to it at such a young age and it's, I think I kind of like, kind of rediscovered it later too, like when I was maybe a teenager. I got like the double CD anthology thing they put out in the eighties and I kind of really reconnected with it and got really into his music when I was maybe like 16 and kind of deep diving into all the individual records. So, um, but it's just so much of, you know, memory of me and my dad, my dad passed away this past December, uh, the day after Christmas. So doing this again and listening to all this music has really made me kind of think of him a lot. And I'm just sort of really thankful for it. So, As far as what
0: Todd's music means to me, do you think that's a good enough answer?
2: That's pretty good. (laughs) Damn, that's beautiful. That's that's, that's beautiful, Joe.
0: How about you, my friend? Mr. Rado, what's your uh, connective tissue?
2: I was born in February of 1990, and I knew Bang on the Drum all day. You know, that was probably the first Todd Rundgren song I heard. I did not know it was Todd Rundgren, but I I used to love that song growing up. My first real intro to Todd Rundgren, I was on tour in like 2012, and I was in a record store just browsing, and they put on, I guess he was already playing Wizard of True Star, and it got to the, and I was just like, this is awesome like what is this and he got to track uh track three you know um oh god i I have the record right here actually what's track three uh tick 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 it wears off (laughs) yeah yeah exactly when it switches i was like oh my god this is the best record ever made i had no idea who it is you know i had no idea what it was i was just listening to it and i went to the guy this was in bloomington indiana at the store landlocked music and i went and asked the guy working at the front. I was like, "What is this?" And he was like, "It's Todd Rundgren. You know, like it's a really popular album." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, cool, it's yeah, a really it. popular album. Yeah. It was kind of popular." I, love like I mean, that was the vibe. You know, the vibe was like, "It's Todd Rundgren. Like, aren't you the kid from Foxygen? Like, you should probably <laughs> yeah, watch. yeah. Um, and then I was just like, "Yeah, could I have th- have this?" And he was like, "You want me to just stop?" You know, and he he took it off the, you know. Record player that he was playing in the store, and I and I bought it then. (laughs) And then also at that time, like streaming was a a thing as well. So I had the physical vinyl on. I was on tour in Bloomington. I had no way to listen to it, so I just uh, streamed it. (laughs) This is so (laughs) ridiculous saying this, but yeah, I would just listen to it in headphones in the van. It was it was a real like time in in the van when it wasn't the most fun, you know, these long drives, like Mm kind of like. I don't know, I would just listen only to Wizard of True Star and Todd oh, nice. over and over and over and over.
0: So, I, you know, I, I, there's this question I could certainly save for the, uh, for the interview portion, but I, I kind of want to get it out there early. I, I was a fan of yours before we met, but the connective tissue seems to be the uh, end the star power record. That seems yes. to be you exercising your your Todd demons. Is is that altogether true, or is it an overstatement?
2: No, that's one hundred percent true on every
0: level. So, do you feel like you got the whole thing out of your system, or or not really? You can never get Todd all the way out of your system, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, no, I think I did. I think I honestly feel as though at a certain point I over Todded. <laughs> 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 At night, you would I have really a hot toddy to go to sleep. <laughs> and yeah, I would just. I think around the end of the Star Power era, I was, I was pretty burned out on it.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's a. Is it, a su- surprise, or you know, if it's, um, you know, if this co- is an obvious thing, but it probably all around. It's my favorite album of yours. I think mainly. Conceptually, just because it falls apart, (laughs) anything that falls apart like that, where it's orchestrated chaos, is a very beautiful uh, objet (laughs) d'art, as they say in the hoity-toity world. What about your relationship, your personal relationship with Todd? (laughs) (laughs) My personal, this is the honest truth, besides Hello, It's Me, which I love that string of uh, early 70s minor key FM classics. Another great one (laughs) is How Long by Ace. Mm-hmm. These are songs that would never mm-hmm. be number 1 now but somehow or Amy by Pure Prairie League these are like you know a, a like a small moment in time these kinds of songs could be blockbuster hits right. and Hello is Me got in there um but as far as a serious recording artist uh when Joe and I lived in San Francisco I've known Joe since um <laughs> uh you were you were born in April 1990 February so you, yeah February 90 no, Feb. All right so Feb. you were Six months old when I met Joe. Uh, we met in college, and um, you know, a few years into our friendship, he introduced something, anything to me. Then it was a Wizard of True Star. Then it was over. Um, but my story is not as you know as as powerhouse as you guys. Even though I became a huge fan, um, let's get into the meat and taters of this thing. Here's a little uh, segment that we love to call the run up. And what this does is, in a bullet-pointed fashion, gets us very quickly to release number one, or in this particular case, um, his production stuff, and then release number one. He kind of took a circuitous route to a solo career. Mm-hmm. Very career-minded young, young gentleman. So Todd Harry Rundgren was born in Philly, very key element, Philly, on June twenty-second, 1948. Taught himself how to play guitar, unsurprisingly. Loved the Beatles, the Stones, the Ventures, the Yardbirds. And Philly soul Um, he formed his first band at 17 called money and um, then after graduating high school in 66 moved to Philly uh, into the city began his career in Woody's truck stop a blues rock group a shred of which you can hear on something anything Um, he stayed in the band for eight months they became the most popular group in Philly and uh, then he began to grow restless which is a theme we'll keep returning to again and again tonight both in Todd's career and in Jonathan Rado's career. Um, so the Naz were thus born in 1967. Um, so Screen Gens Columbia signs them. Their debut 45 is a classic. July 68's Open My Eyes, backed with Hello, It's Me. And um, both songs are penned by Rundgren. There are three albums, Naz, Nas, Naz, and Naz 3. Now, Hello, It's Me, notably, is the first song he ever wrote. Is that? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is impressive. <laughs> yeah um those nas records are great records that is however another show i'm a big fan of them all uh, i'm sure you guys have a lot to say about them but jonathan you can come back for the nas episode in march 68 uh lauren laura nero nero right guys not narrow thank laura god nero, uh released her second album eli and the 13th confession rundgren heard the record he was blown away by all those goddamn major seventh chords um, and, of course, the variations on augmented and suspended chords. Not to
1: mention all the two fives.
0: <laughs> and then after Todd met her for the first time, she asked him if he wanted to be her band leader. The Nas had just signed a contract, but he was really tempted. Um, anyway, the rest of the band failed to properly accommodate the resident genius's rapidly changing tastes. And so the second album, supposed to be a double called Fungo Bat, was reduced to a single by the record company with approval from rungren's bandmates, not a good look. he left the band in late sixty nine and uh nas three was released in its stead let 's talk about guys how this guy's a producer, not a solo star take it away so <laughs> first, he hooks up with
1: Grossman right that's kind of a key uh albert, right albert Grossman's kind of a key this is, is right after he splits here. with nas, yeah,
0: so he basically uh uh, Rundgren had decided at this point he's a producer, so he moves to New York in the summer of '69. He meets a guy named Michael Friedman. Uh, by the way, I when I said take it away, guys, I took it right back. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you. Got sorry this. about that. I Bear's just want to get will. us to the. That's what I will say. I want to get all the chunky bits out of the way. So, uh, moves to New York in the summer of '69. Michael Friedman, formerly the assistant of the Nazis manager John Kurland offers Rundgren a job as staff engineer and producer under Albert Grossman, Uh, Grossman promises to Rundgren that he he would become the highest paid producer in the world, which actually later came true. So initially, what was Todd's job? It was basically to prop up these old stars uh, who needed a dusting off, sort of like a lower level uh, Rick Rubin, American recordings kind of a thing, right? So Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm uh, and Todd traveled to Canada to record Jesse Winchester's 1970 debut, and it was actually kind of a secret audition. The band asked Todd to engineer Stage Fright. It becomes their biggest album. He's called their boy Wonder, and thus a producing career is born. Can we talk about this, though?
2: He engineered Stage Fright. He... He's credited as the engineer. Yeah, I just I wanted to see if you were producer. listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't and, get a, uh, he doesn't
1: get a production credit, although it seems like he sort of produced it.
2: And that reality. album sounds r- terrible. You think so? Can we talk about that? I think it's a terrible sounding. Album. Huh? Huh? That's interesting. I think it's cool, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's engineered very well. Right. Right. They
1: recorded it in a weird place. They recorded it like at a theater on a stage. So I,
0: I, I've been there. It's a real arts and craftsy like wood like Log Cabin kind of thing in the woods it doesn't look set up for this kind of thing
2: I don't know I just wanted to get that I I just always thought that was pretty interesting that Todd Todd like engineered that album he's not like the producer but then I always thought that it's like his worst sounding um, recording like I don't know there must have been something just totally wrong with the so the first I think it took him a minute that,
1: to get his chops together In terms of recording stuff Because the first solo album also doesn't sound amazing It's like he sort of got He was learning on the job The, the
0: first of. one he produces is actually called The Great Speckled Bird I don't know if you guys have heard this I actually like the record very much uh, I listened to it again for this trawl uh, It's Ian and Sylvia kind of doing a
1: Some serious commitment, dog
0: <laughs> It's like folk rock but with like a pinky toe In the psych water um, it's pretty good. I mean, it sounds pretty decent, but you know, very quickly after you know going down this road as a as a as a career choice, he's pumping out Bad Fingers straight up, uh, Sparks half Nelson record, uh, New York Dolls, uh, We're an American Band, Fanny's Mother's Pride. You know, that's all within three years. Yeah, it's good stuff. That Sparks record, I think, is the best sounding of the bunch.
2: Wh- which one? The Sparks album.
0: That one's pretty fun. Sonically, uh, that one's really good.
1: Yeah, the, you know the Badfinger thing. They brought him in is kind of they needed to do it quick. That's kind of why they brought him in because he had he had a reputation for being able to get stuff d- get stuff done quickly. And his stuff on that yeah. sounds pretty good. It hangs with the yeah. Harrison stuff pretty well. So he's getting his he's getting his game together as a producer. But he has a certain kind of imprint. He has this kind of like tight, like punchy kind of thing that he does. <clears throat> yeah, Those records right. have a common sound to them a little bit. What,
0: what Joe most, what Joe and I most love about Rundgren's Producing work is that you can. There's a mathematical equation where the inverse of hi, how well he got along with them is how bad the record is. <laughs> if he got along well with you, the record stinks. <laughs> if you're if you're XTC, if you're Andy Partridge, if you hate him by the end, <laughs> you if got you a want good to kill him, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, basically, you got to let Todd take over, is what it seems like. Yeah. He's got a, this guy's got a vision that obliterates the artists. You're either okay with that or you're not. Yeah, right? there's some quote
2: like, you know that he was like, if if you weren't good enough to do the part, like he, you knew that Todd was like ready to do it. He's like, the doctor. He's <laughs> yeah, good yeah. enough. He's ready to do <laughs> it. So
0: so here's a few choice records. All right, let's let's maybe like throw a few words in about about each. What I basically we'll did talk was, about his whole
1: career of producing. I let's guess talk now, about his whole. So I don't intersperse yeah.
0: it. So have you guys heard "Great Speckled Bird"? I have not. Great.
1: What is who? Who's the artist? Great Speckled Bird. Great it's Speckled. Great Speckled Bird. Uh, okay, is no, the I, artist I, I and, no. and
0: the record. They love their name so much they made it an eponymous right. record. Uh, then the band Stage Fright. We, we've covered we that. that. Bad Finger Straight Up. I think is probably their first all around great record. It's pretty good. You you don't love it? It's okay. You you, you know what? Look, that you can fighting words are cool here, man. There's
1: good stuff on. it. It's not like you know a five star record. Yeah, there's but it's, good it's stuff. good, right? <clears throat> um, what? Uh, so New York Let's Dolls. About that's kind about of half an interesting Nelson. one. Half Nelson. That comes of oh, a Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, talk to us about Half Nelson.
2: I just love the sounds. That's kind of what I was. it Specifically, was like kind of what I was trying to do on the Le- Lemon Twigs first album. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You know, because they're like Sparks Brothers kind of vibe, and it has just this kind of dry, tight thing about that album.
1: I think that one was a relatively positive experience for Sparks. I think they had a pretty yeah. good relationship with him. Um, I think they got, on, they got on pretty well, I think. Um, what about, uh, so the New York Dolls record, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's,
0: that's kind of the next big one. That, that one is just like, he kind of made, it's, it's kind of like a platonic ideal of what glam or punk
1: Could've well, it's kind been, of like, interesting that he's kind of there at the sort of nexus of punk rock, right? He's like a Maxis Kansas City guy. So yeah, just hanging out like dragon. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of in the social scene around the kind of proto-punks in New York, the kind of, you know, the Bowery scene or whatever has happened at that time, um, so which is kind of weird to think about. And, I mean, it makes sense now in retrospect, but he's just kind of like, you know, Carol King, Laura Nero guy, and he's like, he's kind of there at the dawn of punk <laughs> I'm <laughs> like making this kind of seminal record. That record's pretty good. I have to say, that's great. I, I, oh I never man. used to love it, but I've really? ca- I, but recently I've kind of come to appreciate it a lot more. I'd that say, one, that one
0: killed me from the beginning. And I think
1: he kind of nailed the sound of that one, too. He
0: did. And I love that in the same year he did wear an American Band. So not only is he fueling punk, but he's fueling the bands that are going to be taken down by punk. <laughs> right. Um, not that I love Grand Funk, but that song is great. Yeah. That song's awesome. It is. Uh, And then Fanny, Mother's Pride, which is one of those bands I own. I own everything they've done. I've not gotten around to listening to one song yet, but I know I'm going to love it. Have you heard any of the Fanny stuff? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize he worked on
0: that. Yeah, Mother's Pride was his record. I know that stuff's going to be good as soon as I'm able to hear it, but you guys keep me working so hard listening to whatever you want covered. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) leave any of us enough time to explore on our own. Um, Hall & Oates, War Babies. Is one that's worthy of stopping for a moment and talking about. If you do, you know about this one, Rado?
2: Yeah, I love War Babies. I always forget about
0: War Babies. It's almost like another Todd record. Yeah, it's like a Wizard or True Star Junior. Yeah, it's, I it's, think
2: it's kind of where he. I have I have a theory that. Well, I don't actually know which way it went, but like either Holland Oates got really inspired by Todd, or Todd got really inspired by Holland Oates. And they just like merged in this weird way. It's true. There is a kind of, that's that's
1: the perfect example. They kind of meld into one thing. And then his, his like career in the late seventies, early eighties, it seems like he kind of morphs into them. It's like sort of like, seems like he maybe influenced them first. I think
0: he took from all accounts that I've read in the research, he took from their singing style, but they had to have taken from his Sonics. So yeah, it was it's
1: just, just a kind of uh, kind of symbiotic sort of. They're Philly guys, you know, right. they're kind of from around the same way. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good record and very very Todd sounding. That's maybe the one that he did that's an external production that sounds
0: the most Todd like. And it's not completely consistent, but there's like a third of it that's batshit fucking crazy, <laughs> amazing. Not just crazy, but great song titles and amazing melodies, uh, and totally totally worth looking into. Mm. Um, three years after that is, is his uh, biggest release. This is the release where, you know, his solo career is very funny because he takes these, these obstinate stances and does whatever he wants to do. And the only reason that he's really able to do that is because he produced Bad Out of Hell. So that came in 77. Right. Uh, this guy, you know, obviously he's... That makes albums like Initiation and some of those, you know, like Oops, uh, Wrong Planet. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, thank God this <laughs> album did so well. Uh, okay, so then he did some work with The Tubes, with Patti Smith, Psychedelic Furs, Cheek true he, So he's
1: still staying, like, pretty interesting and pretty on point as a producer out, until,
2: like, the early 80s. Bad Out know? of Hell, I mean, is, like, he, he did the motorcycle guitar sound. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. That's, like, huge, you know? He, do, he talks about that. He's still talking about that sound. He loves <laughs> yeah. Like in a, all interviews, he talks about the Bad Out of Hell guitar sound or Meatloaf will talk about the Bad Out of Hell like, motorcycle guitar. It's like a great story.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, yeah. you guys, do you guys have a clear, obvious, number one Todd production effort? I do. I do as well. Does um, does Mister do No, I, I uh, <laughs> it's okay if you don't.
2: You go. You guys go first. Skylarking. Yeah,
0: Skyfling Skylarking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the to me that's the best album of the eighties. Okay, I I don't
2: really love Skylarking. I'm <laughs> not into it yet. It, I have it hasn't. It's okay, man. Up to
1: What's me. your favorite uh, Rungrin production?
2: Um. I think I like War Babies. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. No, yeah. I probably like I probably like the Sparks, the Half, Nel- Half Nelson mm-hmm. record. That's a good one. I think mm-hmm. that's my favorite. But I got to get into Scar. I know I I'm like. It's, it's really great my way into XTC, but I'll get my late thirties. I think is going to be like where I'm really. It was, was kind of, of his last of hurrah, I think,
1: Skylarking as a producer, because yeah. af- after that, the, there's not really a whole lot of significant things. That the only
0: produced. significant one that I pulled, and it really is just to make it a full circle list is uh, 2009's New York Dolls' Cause I Says So. Yeah, but Skylark is kind of like the last major. It's, it it it's the last is. major It's the last, last major did. one. Yeah. Uh, so moving forward from production, but just know that all this is threaded through this this already very busy career. So you have a guy who is a very in-demand producer, plus he has a solo career where he's very consistently releasing stuff, and he has a band that he... Uh, that he uh, uh, hoists up within a few years. So he's, uh, he's a really busy guy, kind of like Rado. So after a, <laughs> after a period where Todd thinks that he's never going to go back to being a performing artist again, uh, he, he decides he's finally over it and he's ready for the spotlight. And so he approaches Grossman with the idea of doing a solo record. In his pitch, Rongrid ensures that any loss to Grossman is going to be uh you're not not even worth writing home about so he says i didn't get an actual advance for runt i just asked for a recording budget to pay the studio costs i had no idea how much money i even had in the bank if i needed cash i would show up at the accountants and they would just give me hundreds or thousands of dollars so here we (laughs) enter phase one the great nero exorcism 1970 to 1972. So 1970 brings Runt. Runt is actually the self-titled debut of a band called Runt. It was released in September 70. Runt's a trio. It's taught on guitars, keyboards, vocals, Hunt sales on drums, and Tony sales on bass. Um, and the whole thing is written and produced by Rundgren. You know who their dad is, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I've, al-
1: I've always wanted to mention Soupy Sales on the show.
0: Soupy Sales. This is my golden Snoopy. opportunity. <laughs> Sno- Snoopy Sales' is uh, pre- uh, uh, Ken is half of Tin Machine, for Christ's sake. That's right. That's they should have called it th- Ken Machine. Those are
1: the things they're most notable for, is being exactly. the Runt and then Tin Machine. It's
0: Runt is basically Rundgren's uh, debut solo record. Um, and reissues actually credit the LP to Rundgren rather than the group. The single from it is We Gotta Get You a Woman. Which is the first Todd classic? Uh, it reached number twenty on Billboard, uh, and the, a month later, the record peaked at one eighty-five. Um, so, let's talk about the uh, the songs, guys. You guys, uh, you guys like this record? I like the
2: idea of Runt. I think Runt. I think of Runt as like a a rough draft of. Run a uh, ballad, of Todd Rundgren. You know, yeah, <laughs> like I see them like as very kind of different. Well, no, I, I think it,
1: it's building blocks. You know, he's putting yeah. the building blocks. I feel for like what he
2: gets those. He gets his like, he's getting his like uh, ideas sort of formulated, but they feel not qu- all quite there. I mean, we got to get you a woman is like his first. You know, he, he's, that's like the first like big success of
0: a song. I you think. could tell this guy was going to have a big career because of that song, I think.
2: Yeah, it's for his
1: first single went to number 20, so that's a pretty good start. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of a big deal in those days. I mean, days.
0: you know, here's here's why I rate uh, it, that it feels like uh, Runt and Runt, the ballad of Todd Rundgren, uh, are very different to me. Runt feels... completely and utterly informed by youth it's a hey look i can do this i can do this i can do this uh i don't i don't say that as a bad thing it just feels like a whitman sampler it feels like buckshot fired so like the scatterbrained relics of youth's bottomless creative well runt the ballad of todd Rundgren feels like it's more piano ballads Mm -hmm.
2: yeah but it's got the Sales Brothers on there, and it's got yeah, yeah. Long Flowing Robe. You know, Long Flowing Robe is like his We Gotta Get You a Woman. I feel like you could draw... There are more piano ballads on it. You're right. <laughs> but <laughs> on, uh, on, on no, it's a,
0: you know, I, I, they they are obviously of a piece because you got the same band on it. But I love how, you know, what seems like, you know, already sort of willfully obstinate tendencies are in place because on Runt, It starts with Broke Down and Busted and ends with Birthday Carol. And these are not inviting entrance and exits. The thing I always thought about Runt is um, it's, you know, a lot of people
1: when they make their first solo album, it's like you've had your whole life to like prepare for the first solo album and like all your best material goes on it and then it's like hard to make the follow up. But it didn't really seem like he had a huge wealth of material to draw from. It seems like that was probably the tunes that he had, you know, like, and so much of it is in a new style of songwriting because the, the, you know, the Eli and the 13th Confession is like such a massive influence on him. You know, there's a few songs in here that are like very directly influenced by by that record. You know, you can, he's it's like a whole chord harmonic vocabulary that he's like kind of learning. You know, so
0: I t- I totally think he does Nero better than Nero.
1: It's it's more accessible. Yeah. It's more fun to listen to. Her it stuff is, is much kind of more fun.
0: yeah. I've never had a like a fun experience listening to Nero. Yeah, it's, maybe a bit bit more, to right it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more
1: challenging, you know. But I mean, yeah. it, it definitely like her sense of you know a lot of the, the kind of the chord moves, you know, are very obviously influenced. But particularly by her, you know, I guess it's sort of like uh, the next step from like Tin Pan Alley or something. It's a lot of the mm-hmm. same kind of like Tin Pan Alley, you know, s- jazz standard kind of chord yeah, moves. Yeah. But with kind of a slightly kind of new, like modern kind of vocabulary to it, and it's, that's really where he's rooted in. He follows that kind of muse for you know all these first handful of albums. Let,
0: let's let's go song by song here. So we kick off with a fucking what seems to me like a by rote blues rock cock grabber. I like that song. All right, you like broke down. <laughs> I like and it. Okay. okay, I like okay. the guitars and stuff. I, I, I just, just not find amazing. it funny that so much music. This is the first song that we hear. From yeah, them. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Uh, Rado, is this was this a big influence on you? <laughs> 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 no, no, it's a no. little weird, but I, you know, it's I have a soft spot for it. Then the next I think,
1: one, okay,
2: I got it, yeah, yeah. You keep going. I, no. I would say I across run to like I love the sounds, and it's not okay
0: let's keep going no 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 no. let's so, actually believe in me in a,
1: believe in me is the next tune and that one's obviously very much in the laura nero kind of space and kind of similar to his later song marlene in a way where it's mm-hmm. like like very right. advanced kind of sense of chord changes you know he's using this is also it. the
0: first time we're treated to one of these sweet little piano tunes
1: yeah so this is really in my sweet spot this is uh, these are like the, <laughs> the like golden nuggets that are in the you know pretty much all of these where he's writing in this kind of way and and you know Pulls it off. These are all my favorite ones. I
0: love "Believe in Me." I um, love it.
1: So yeah, he's throwing every chord change there is in this. <laughs> he's throwing them all. Yeah, in really. it's,
0: it's gorgeous. Yeah. And then we got to get you a woman. We talked about that. That's amazing. Uh, it's who's just that? such a banger? It's, it's just so such good. A banger. You know, Sorry, I'm gonna like, say that a lot. What about that middle of.
1: eight? What about that middle eight? And we got to get you a woman <laughs> talking about life and what it means to you. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> just kinda, so so wah, good. Wah. such a
0: good middle eight. <laughs> you know, songs <laughs> like this and long flowing robe. You can you can hear them. The replayability prospect of it is so endless; it never gets old. Uh, you know all the little, uh, small, subtle little pieces of studio trickery. That little flute that comes in there. Yeah, fluttery little flute. Oh, yes. Man. Uh, so who's that man? Is sort of a Nazi open my eyes style rib snort and rock stomper. Uh, that's a great song. It's all uh, right. I don't like that. I don't you don't like that, that one too okay. much? The, this record actually, I thought was very underrated, much better than I remember it. It's one of the ones that, that was surprising to me how much better it was. Once Burned. It's cool. Yeah, one, I like Once Burned. Once Burned has Danko and Helm. And so. he
1: sings kind of in the Rick. He sounds like he's trying to sing like Rick Danko. He does the kind of yeah, cr- yeah. The Kermit
0: yeah. style of Rick Danko singing. Devil's Bite, kind of sick glam metal. I love that song. Yeah, that
1: kind kind of almost turns into like a Roxy Music sort of thing, right? Yeah. All those crazy guitars sort of take over. I I didn't really remember much about that one until we listened to it for this. But yeah, I, I I liked
0: it on this listen.
1: And then there's the whole part at the end with the medley, and then birthday Carol, which is kind of a grab bag. There's like the medley has a lot of Laura Nero kind of moves in I it. I love the medley. It's cool. It, I, the, the medley's kind of up and down for me. I don't really listen, really listen to it that often.
0: I, I, it surprised me. I kind of like it. It's it's kind of it's not as good as Abbey Roads, unfinished nuggets that are jammed together, but it's maybe as good as Red Rose Speedways. <laughs> That's a pretty good analysis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, birthday Carol. Okay, I got a problem with this one.
1: All the whole end of this album kind of smushes together for me. This is this is kind of in the same. It's kind of like the medley where it's kind of just sort of trying a bunch of things and.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just weird. It's um, you know, a blues, then Nero moves, and then a shrieking guitar solo, then a string section coda. Anyway, so I give this overall, one four stars.
1: Oh, that's pretty high. That's good.
0: Yeah. I give it, it three and a half.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy. How about it. you, Rito?
0: I give it
2: three. I think it's the one that... I don't go back to it as much. I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah,
1: admittedly, I don't either, really.
2: Yeah, I I never
0: listen to it, really.
2: Yeah, I think of... I always think of Ballad of, of Todd Rundgren as, like, the first real one.
0: And it is. So that's, kind of so that's next. So that's the
1: next runt album, runt, the Ballad of Todd Rundgren. This is the one where he really gives you just all the stuff you want. <laughs> he's, this is out of all of his records he ever made, probably. This is the one where he most consistently delivers the kind of song that I like from him best. All right, so he's staying in that kind of pocket of writing these like perfect little pop gems. Um, and it just seems like he's really having a lot of fun with it, too. So, yeah.
2: Rocks. It's so good. The sounds. <laughs> I'm going to say that for each one. Yeah. But the sounds on this one are like
0: amazing. The like harmonies, peak. the production, the arrangements. It's crazy. The drum sounds.
2: Yeah. Insane. Yep. The studio, like, the, it's just like a really amazingly cl- recorded, like, studio recording. I don't know. It's yeah. sick. I mean. And the Sales <clears> Brothers <throat> sound really good on
0: it. I actually think this is an almost perfect album. The one song that is that for me uh really kind of doesn't press any buttons is Parole. Uh the one yeah, that's kind of the only one. Uh, otherwise, every single song is just differing shades of incredible. Um and, and and it's a total balls to the wall classic. It really is. If you're if you're not familiar with it, everything from the cover art down to the you know the way he puts it together he goes from good to major talent uh, overnight
1: yeah, i think this record doesn't really get its full due outside of people who are todd fanatics you know like i think yeah. something anything is kind of gained a reputation as being like a kind of a legacy all time classic record but i feel like this record deserves that same status
2: this um, is like a songwriting album i think about this one as the best representation of his songwriting
1: yeah agreed
2: yeah i don't there's not much production on it it's kind of just
0: well there is but it's it doesn't call attention to itself even like for example the ballad Denny and Jean you have a talk box section you know, the, the, and it works so yeah, well. It fits in, it doesn't stick out. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, You know, um. now I'll say this as well
1: on on Ballad of Todd Rundgren. I feel like he's taken the Laura Nero vocabulary and made it even more his own, right? So he's not really mimicking as many of the changes that she that yeah. she does. He's kind of got his own vocabulary for it now, and he's this is on this album. He really starts to use a lot of what I call the Rundgren chord. So that's yeah. like that's like D over C, dun, dun. you know, like like a D yeah. with a C in the bass, you know, that it's kind of like yeah. a passing chord that really makes you yeah. want to feel like it wants to resolve.
2: Really You're giving away the secrets, yeah. 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 He's, <laughs> he's, he's secrets. like really <laughs> yeah. um,
1: really using that a lot. On Don't this. tell
0: the hoy polloi.
1: And um, it's just like you know, I love all this stuff he does. It has those crunchy chords. It has like you know, fives in the bass and major sevenths and all these, and moves around them very skillfully. Um, really at the top he's, I mean, he's, he, It's in full he's, He would write songs like this again throughout his career But this is where he really establishes
0: like I feel like his own Harmonic kind of world Here's, here's where Todd leaves me A little bit chin-scratchingly Bemused uh, With Runt the Ballad of Todd Rundgren <clears throat> Even though he's stylistically Aping somebody else It feels very heartfelt From beginning to end and Todd is very much, although heartfelt at times, very much a snarky performer. (laughs) And so it seems saddening to me that material that would be maybe to him very easy or facile, but to me is just very affecting, is something he wouldn't really explore that much in his career.
1: This is his most sincere album, I would say, yeah.
2: Yeah, he had that breakup that he wrote about for like, he always says that, you know, he had had one breakup And he just wrote about that forever. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I think "Hello, It's Me" is about that breakup. I think, yeah. yeah, I think it was I think years it was, before it happened. It was like yeah, it was like many years before he's still yeah. kind of like going back to yeah. that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's let's really go down with the microscope on this one. Most a lot of people aren't incredibly familiar with it, and you know, I I'm going to do something here that I don't normally do, which is to talk about you know my my top lists. This is my favorite Todd record. Well, you gave it away. <laughs> I, I don't care. This is the one time I'm going to do it, because I, I want it to be taken seriously when we talk about this. It, not because of, of me, because of Todd. This record doesn't get its due, and the guy must be starving out there in, uh, in Hawaii. All right, Long Flowing Rub. Literally a perfect pop song. It's got the wrong yeah. green, got the
1: Rangren chord in it.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's the album you put it on, and it's like... It's absolutely perfect no matter what mood you're in. It's the I saw the light of this album. Yeah. 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 So ballad every album,
2: every Todd Rundgren album has an I saw the light. Yeah. That's uh, that's what I think about on all the albums. They all have a, like this insane front loaded like hit. Yeah, right. Yeah. They all got at least that's one. Long-flowed. Yeah.
0: This yeah. one is unstoppable. And, um, you know, the band, I'm sorry, the ballad, Denny and Gene, it's a perfect ballad. I also want to mention that in June 1996, uh, Joe and I recorded an EP over the course of one weekend called Driftwood. And um, I was introduced to this record during that weekend. And I always think of that weekend when I hear this. And this song in particular really brings, it's just one of those that truly brings me back. Um, and this is one; this is definitely one of my favorite Rundgren ballads ever. Yeah, I love that yeah. song. Um, again, not very well known at all Them Bleeding Good rocker Yeah
1: Good pop rocker Some of, some of his rockers can get a little dodgy Totally but, um, this, one, um, this one's good this Exactly one, This one fully say. fits the bill
0: I bet Rado? What's your stance on Wailing Wall?
2: I think, it's a, I think it's amazing I think it's an
0: amazing Todd Rundgren ballad <laughs> <laughs> One of the best ever, I think Yeah It's like a soft, billowing, scented breeze
1: Another great middle eight yeah, he's got it going on. He really does. Well, the next one's one of my favorites ever, "The yep. Range War." So yeah, range he sits war down rocks. and figure out the chords of that song. It's like really satisfying all the chord moves in that. Um. Yeah, such a well-written song.
0: I love how he tips his, he dips his toe into country rock, masters it, and moves on and never revisits it. Yeah, well, it's really kind of like a Tin Pan Alley sort of song,
1: really. It sort of gets the country treatment, but the chord moves yeah. are not really like country kind of chord moves. They're all like, you yeah. know, there's a lot of like rungrin chords in it. There's all like, you know, super crunchy, pretty chords in it. It's amazing.
2: I've got the Ballad of Todd Rundgren record right here, and I'm mm-hmm. reading the, the whatchamacallit, the inside of it. And it says... uh this song it says featuring piano, guitar, slide guitars, fiddles, and good old country and western imagery. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I think the imag- so. That's something that we should also like talk about, and it's going to start being a little more apparent. But like that type of thing where he's like, and good old fashioned country and western imagery, you know, like he's sort of already over it. Yeah, he's kind, of, you know. he's kind of he's kind of winking at you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> He's got kind of a bad attitude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that kind of bad attitude would flower into something <laughs> irrefutably terrible at, at a certain yeah. point.
1: In his old age, you hear him talk now. He's kind of pretty gracious. He seems pretty cool now. You know, it's, yeah. Obviously, he's not making music that's as cool, but he seems yeah. to have uh, the sort of curmudgeonly um, persona. Suits, yeah. suits him as an, as an older good, gentleman. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's a good word. I feel like he was more curmudgeonly. Yeah, yeah earlier. I think he's
1: probably more
0: of a softy now.
2: This is my album. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, last song on the first side, one of my favorites. But you know, truth be told, I truly do love the beginning of it a little bit better. Chain Letter. I love the meta commentary on where we are in the song uh, lyrically. You know, very much uh, to, again, totally over it, over it, over the idea of even writing a song. So,
1: side one, I don't know, pretty pretty powerhouse. It's amazing. Not a lot to I, not a lot to complain about on that side
0: one. I think side two is is except for parole is basically as good. A long time, a long way to go. Definitely more heavy on the Nero influence uh, this time. Joe, you like this song, don't you? Yeah, Aren't side you two thing?
1: of this record's a little is not quite at the same level as side one. Mostly, I mean, be nice to me is on side two, so that's amazing. Hope um, I'm around's my favorite. Hope song Hope I'm around's cool. It's kind of like a Bacharach kind of thing, like an R and B ballad. Boat um, on the Charles. That, I love that one's kind of on like Charles. a mood.
0: That's, you know, it's it it's, is a yeah, mood. It's, it's like it's a vibe. ambient vibes work.
1: Yeah, it's still the
0: record's still really strong. This deep end, there's those those are all good songs. Um, Be nice to me. I really love that because uh, fuck man, is this is that perfectly redolent to the time or what? I can, I, when I <laughs> yeah. visualize him recording that song, I picture him with a pair of Oshkosh bagosh with one of the things undone. I wasn't yet alive,
1: so I can't really say. If that's yeah, yeah, true or not.
0: <laughs> uh, and then hope I'm around is my favorite on the album. A total fucking heartbreaker. Um, what do you think about side two of this? record, Yeah, give Jonathan. us the side two. I was right gonna now. say,
2: yeah, side two to me doesn't—it's not quite as memorable. I love be nice to me. Yeah, and,
0: yeah. Um, do you like yeah. when he approaches or or re, or regresses away from sensitivo? Um, I like it. I
2: like it when I on this record. I whenever he's doing the ballads, I picture him with the rope around his neck.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I And mean, yeah, I think it yeah.
2: just—you know it's just like <laughs> it's a great image. It I is. Don't know. That's I think I like it, artwork. but it's always he approaches it, but it it always feels like yeah he's got some sort of he's got the noose around his neck, so it's like a little wink or a, something. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: it, and I think that I, it it really is a classic cover, but uh, the thing with the noose be, and, and it, because it just sort of gives a little bit of like a, I feel like it makes the record feel a little different. You know, it gives a it little, does. it gives a little bit of undercurrent of a little bit of darkness that um, I think a little, it's kind of a. A needed counterbalance. So it's I, really a great cover. I feel
0: like throughout his entire solo career, there's a tremendous corollary with Lee Hazelwood. Both an odd sense of humor that is not tailored for any kind of general audience whatsoever. And
1: it's sort of self deprecating. Self deprecating, yeah.
0: totally um, self effacing. Yet yeah, he's still a complete egomaniac. Totally, yeah. <laughs> Megalomaniac for, to, to the core. But on this one, if it wasn't for that cover, there'd be nothing lee hazel would like about this this feels to me totally straight-faced and um it's what i love about it what i find seductive and charming about it it is my favorite i give it a hard five
1: five stars for me yeah
2: four i'm gonna say four four Four? okay i love it so now we're up to something anything
0: something anything is the next record fill us in on the history if you can joe the history of this record this is probably uh the most important record for todd himself well,
1: I mean, so he did this um, mostly by himself. Um, I don't remember offhand. It's one of the big studios in LA. I don't remember exactly which one. Um, but then he did also some of it at his place. After an, an earthquake Yeah, struck. he had a house up in that he was renting in like Laurel Canyon or something, and he recorded a few of things there. There's not really a ton of like, um, you know, a lot of times on the show we'll be covering bands, and there's, there's kind of all kinds of like crazy interpersonal band stuff that's happening and all this biographical Stuff that's kind of interesting, but Todd really just like is kind of a workaholic. It's all just like he's make make another record, make another record, make another record. Not
0: many crashed cars, not many overdoses. Yeah.
1: So this one, I feel like appropriately, this episode is really kind of be probably mostly like about the music because that's really kind of the, by far the thing that's of most interest. Um, I In wouldn't start contrast. It's not to like the band. He's, it's not like he's a boring person, but he's mm-hmm. really kind of. Kind of lives it you know kind of, that's just kind of all he really does is make music yeah.
0: <laughs> so so initially it's LA then he goes to Bearsville where he right for that side up. four thing they did in Bearsville. Um, this was a you know big success for him so the album peaks at number 29 uh, on Billboard uh, was certified gold three years after its release hello it's me was a top five hit in the UK in the UK in the US in late 73 and I saw the light was a hit as well I saw the light if anyone out there is an Ozark fan I'll try not to uh, spoil anything but if you've seen the most current season I saw the light is playing during a very crucial scene uh, in the series during the last season what a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I guess I'll watch something ruined. else.
1: <laughs> uh, so uh, Todd plays most of the instruments, or if not all the instruments, I think on the first three sides. So he's taken over yeah. playing drums and a lot of it was done like, you know, he, not to a click or anything. So he just like played drums on the song and then like, if it was close enough in time, he'd start overdubbing on that. So a lot of times he wouldn't have the arrangement fully worked out. So it'd be like an extra bar here and there. So he'd have to like, make the songs fit to his drums, whatever he'd laid down for drums. Um, so it's, it's a lot more of just him without any bandmates. And it's a def, there's definitely a, a more kind of uh, ambitious sense of like arrangement and
0: um, production style. Let's talk anything. about drugs. Okay. Ritalin and cannabis, 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 <laughs> cannabis. um, that at the time, these were the things... Because, I mean, we're going to talk about A Wizard of True Star. We're going to talk about what fueled that. The drugs were uh, a very key component during this time in his career. And
1: he's talked about that pretty openly. He's said yeah. that that was a key... Uh, the, the things that were fueling this record. Whereas, you know, right.
0: Um, and he was ripping... I mean, r- stuff was pouring out of him at such a rate. Uh, and he attributed it to Ritalin and, and Cannabis. I Saw the Light, he said, was written in about 20 minutes. Four sides. I I believe that, uh, unlike the White Album, which is, you know, there's that perennial thing of it could have been a single album, the White Album could not have been a single album. Okay. I personally believe, and this is going to feel heretical, possibly, in this context of this, that this really could have been.
1: Well, I mean, you can make an incredible single album out of it, but I actually kind of welcome the sprawl of it. And I I, kind of welcome the sort of moments of sort of some levity and like the... uh, yeah, so I think the, the sprawl of it is kind of... Um, the point? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want it to be a, a single album. I, even Side 4, which is kind of jokey. Side 4 almost to me seems like almost like a bonus side. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so just
0: weird that Hello, It's Me is jammed in there, strangely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it always struck me as a little bit bizarre. But look, this is we're splitting hairs. This is a great record. There's no question that it's a great record. All right, Side 1, a bouquet of ear-catching melodies. Mm. I saw the light. I Saw the Light, the best song ever written. (laughs) Yeah, pure pop bliss. I mean, that one is a straight-up, straight-ahead awesomeness. Uh, It wouldn't have made any difference. One of the best on the record. Uh, Very, very surprising melodic turns late in the song. Uh, Joe, this is one of those that you had really uh, underscored to me as as a classic and that really grabbed me. I had never heard this until I was in my twenties. Yeah, this is one of, my, right one of my punched me right in the
1: dick. One of my favorite songs of all time. So good, maybe my favorite Todd song. Um, it's just, I mean, it's such a p- kind of perfect song. But um, yeah, so you got that, and then so those two right off the bat are both like ultra commercial, and then totally, and then so it kind of takes a little bit of a left turn after that.
0: Wolfman Jack is the clunker on side one, but inoffensively so, it's not bad, but it certainly shouldn't be anyone's favorite Todd song. Yeah. It's, that, it's awesome.
2: I've had I had I had a moment with it for sure.
0: Tell us about it, please. I just loved it. You know,
2: side one of this record is one of the best side ones of all time. Yeah, no question.
0: I agree. Do you love
2: Wolfman so Jack, though? You, you, I love Wolfman Jack. I think, man, Jack. Pro, I think it's so man, awesome. Yeah. When you think about it, when you think about him doing everything, if you just put that in your mind when you listen to Wolfman Jack, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. I think with, yeah. though, with all these songs, like if you just picture him in the studio playing, like the cowbell on Wolfman Jack, and <laughs> right. doing all those voices
1: and stuff. Yeah, like making all that, all the just, guitar and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so fun to think about. Cold morning light has a touch of surreal AM radio gold to it. It's, uh, and I got to tell you, the, the apocalyptically slow final section is a totally brilliant twist. Yeah. That's a great song. Great I mean,
1: chords. The chord sequence in general is just so. Good. That's
0: a very inspired piece of songcraft. And then speaking of inspired, it takes two to tango. This is for the girls. The melody is completely crazy, uh, yeah. but it, but yet it's so catchy. I could take the rest of my life to figure out how in the fuck it works, and I'll never figure it out. It's just a. Like a perfectly assembled Swiss watch, and then also thinking about how he made it
1: because it has all those tempo changes in it. Like uh-huh. it kind of like the song really breathes. How do you do that? And mean, especially because it's just him, so it's yeah, no, you yeah. can't like make eye contact with the. Ba- so he m- knows in his head, he has like the tempo map kind of in his head for the song as he's as he's making it. That's really key to it. I mean, the, the changes in the melody are are great, but the way it breathes and like ramps up and slows down, it's like it's like
2: sloppy. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, right, I really right. like how how sloppy, some, like a lot of these songs are when he's playing drums and stuff. You don't think about it; you can hear it and not think about it. But then I just love just listening a little deeper, mm-hmm. and yeah, you, know, you can hear him figuring it out or like hit a rim on on the side of a drum or so. There's like mess ups, and it's yeah it's awesome and he talks yeah, he, he's about not like a long.
1: perfect drummer you know so he'll have an occasional like slight little f- especially trying to make these without any other elements in it. it's probably impossible to get it like super perfect. so he's
0: got what like a task cam or something right no no or he's recording a- in a big studio at like yeah, you know, it's nobody's big doing studio. stuff
1: at home too. well that too but not this
0: yeah, like he, he like, did, uh, like one more word. Uh, yeah, he did
1: that at home. Yeah, some of the more some of the more
0: pared down ones. This one, yeah. ones
1: like this with the big drums sounding that, right. like a lot. That's like like you know wherever Western or wherever he's doing. I don't, I don't and know which one he was in. Last
0: song on side one, just to cap off with another classic, is "Sweeter Memories," which is uh, sort of a straight face soul shakedown. Um, he doesn't need to be fully spaced out to be getting our attention. Just an amazing piece of song work will do.
1: I love the sonics of "Sweeter Memories." Mm-hmm. It's such a good yeah. sounding mix.
0: So kick good. us off with side two, the cerebral side. Let's let's this is an interesting one.
2: Yeah. Well it, he lays it out there in you know the intro. I like that the intro <laughs> of side two. Is, is that your favorite song on the album? Tape cuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so good. This is a tape cut. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like he, he that's the ultimate Todd like manifesto. Yeah, it is. Know?
0: It is, and, and and then breath, like, you get that, and then you get Breathless, so, uh, which is, like, kind of like a Space AIDS bachelor pad instrumental. Yeah, so that one he did at the home studio as well, mm-hmm. and he's using one of those mm-hmm. VC3
1: synths, like, that's the little suitcase synth that Eno would use and Roger Waters, um, so he does pretty cool shit with it, I have to say.
0: It's cool, but at this point, I'm thinking this guy's like fucking around now or something.
1: See, now that one, you have to have it on the record. That's when you would probably probably leave that off. But to me,
2: it's super essential, I think.
0: I would. But, you know, you grew up with this. (laughs) We have a different relationship. What do you think about
2: Breathless, Jonathan? I think it's amazing. I'm going to say that about every song on this album. (laughs) That's cool. No, it's all right. I mean, it's It's just like, I think it's awesome. Like, that uh, is so interesting to me. You know, when I first heard this, like not ever hearing it before. You know, and it's like half, you know, you're listening to like six songs and then it's like he does that thing about the tape cuts and then there's this like synth piece and then it goes into the carousel and then it's like then it starts that rocking. Song, anyway. That
0: song had the biggest yeah. effect on me. But when I think I Jonathan's it.
1: greater point, though, is that the sequencing of it too, yeah. like the way it's laid out and sequenced. Like, you know, by the time yeah. by the time Breathless comes in, it's really like a big surprise. You know, it's yeah. really not yeah. what you've heard on side one at all.
2: Yeah, it's just a different album. It really is like a vinyl it's like for vinyl. It is. Yeah. It is. You know, it's like you get a different one on the side too. Yeah.
0: But you know, the night the carousel burned down is the greatest Calliope nightmare song ever made. I mean, the descending chord change is a killer. Uh, the pump Spirit. organ instrumental breakdown uh, at the end is just it's all going powerful. like out of tune.
1: It sounds like he's like maybe changing the tape speed. Yeah, it sounds like the carousel is actually burning down. But it's, it's <laughs> it sounds so good. I mean, it's yeah. brilliant production in on that one.
0: Radio, do you hate the song? <laughs>
2: I love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> I completely love it. I think it's awesome that he burns the carousel down with the track. You know, like he does it with the tape speed. Yeah. Like you said, yeah, yeah. You know, so so. Brilliant. You guys are on it. We're all on the same. <laughs> <laughs> Saving Grace is next. That's kind of in the Laura
1: Nero sort of space, um, but it's still another one that's very accessible sounding. It sounds yeah.
0: like a jingle. It actually yeah. sounds like it could have been a jingle. Yeah. Um, it 's a great song, great song, and then Marlene. I mean, what a perfect nerdy name for a love song <laughs> that 's yeah. like it 's talk about playing to his target audience it 's great, and it 's so Brian Wilson A bit like Bacharach, this
1: chords mm-hmm. in this one, to me um you know i it 's like the chord sequence on this is is as good as like the chord sequence on like Alfie or something you know it 's like it 's at that level of like. You know the 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 melodic through line and how everything resolves, and
0: you know there's surprising turns to it.
2: Songbook, yeah. Some great American songbook music.
0: You guys take over on "Song of the Viking," and I went to the mirror.
1: So "Song of the Viking" is kind of a jokey one, right? So it's kind of like a Gilbert and Sullivan sort of thing. But if you take the vocal out, if you made it a different vocal, it would just be like another song from this record. Like the the, all the chords in the production are like just basically like another something anything song. Then it has this kind of like of weird viking narrative <laughs> over top of it so that one's kind of weird i mean not my favorite it's cool
2: yeah yeah okay so maybe not every song song of the viking is like i
0: i've skipped it before
1: i usually skip that one and i went to the mirror which yeah is that's that the thing
0: these two songs yeah I just I don't I don't really know why they're on here. Well,
1: you know, an album like this has this kind of sprawl. You know, it's like yeah, usually yeah. they have kind of little rabbit holes. You have in a it. different QC. I went to the mirror is another one. It's kind of cool, but it's like it, the, the cool. subject of him popping the zit and everything seems like it kind of kind of kills the vibe. <laughs> kills yeah. the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> but if you actually listen to the music, it's actually kind of interesting.
2: I, so I think Todd Rundgren's kind of like Frank Zappa.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's got a little bit yeah. of Zappa in him. Yeah,
2: like he's known to like. I feel like he can. Just like
0: get kind of gross. I don't. Th- um, I don't think Todd's sophomoric like Zappa. He kind of sometimes will use like humor
1: as like a color sort right, of. Right. You know? Right. Right. So, but not. It, not, not, it's, in not in exact, it's not an It's not exactly the same way, but they, it's the same sort of like kind of like. A, I feel
0: like Frank's sensibility will drag a song down <laughs> until it's drowning.
1: <laughs> I mean, Frank. Frank. Maybe Frank's maybe a little bit more stronger of a flavor, but I, is, think, yeah, I think I yeah. think there's the same kind of thing sometimes.
2: Frank Zappa's mean. Todd right. Rundgren's not mean, but I feel like they. They have tendencies. They have overlapping tendencies.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, at anyway, that, side that's three. That's the end of side two. Yeah. Side three. The kid gets heavy. Black Maria. Mariah. Black whatever. Mariah. Right. The best, and most convincing hard rocker on the record. Definitely. Right. Um, this is kind of a weird side. Most of it's pretty good, though. I love it. I uh, love this one side. more day. No words. One Next. more day is awesome. I always thought this was very underrated. Uh, this was made at his rented place in L.A., not at the studio. And it's got a beautifully quaint homespun charm to it. Very dungaree. Uh, and also one of his all-time great hummable melodies.
1: Crunchy Todd chords. Yeah. It's a good it's a good little tune. I love it, man. Kind
2: of a minor tune, but a good one. Rita, do you it's hate this song? It's another something-anything classic. I you think love it's it? another something-anything classic. It's just a great something-anything so- song, you know? <laughs> It's yeah, it's so It slots in there just right it's, it, Yeah, it definitely is yeah, of
0: this
1: like album Yeah, it's like in the sure.
2: vibe of the album <laughs> Yeah, yeah which And I then mean.
1: one of the great power pop songs ever Couldn't I Just Tell You Yeah um, Which yeah, again, great best. sounding recording It really just still to this day sounds great Another one where it's like it's not perfectly played There's rough edges in part of parts of it like It's kind so of Flubs awesome. little drum hits and stuff
0: This has got to be one of the three greatest power pop songs of all time I mean, it's yeah. just awesome It's not nerdy, too. A lot of power pop is so nerdy, skinny tie, the knack-like, but, you know, and I I love the genre, and I'm saying it's nerdy, but this song has real fucking balls to it.
2: It's one of my favorite. I think it's got to be one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, me too. It's so cool. The way it's recorded, I mean, everything about it is just so awesome. It's like When You Were Mine or something, just like, just a perfect...
0: Man, that riff... The guitar work on this song Is just for the (laughs) ages Uh, Then you got another classic Torch song Another straight-faced Hat-in-hand slab Of precious gorgiosity It's just so fucking good Um, Kind of doing the Nero thing
1: But like again Kind of transcending it and Doing his own thing with it You know
0: All right So Little Red Lights A less convincing heavy rocker If you ask me Nobody did But I'm telling you anyway
2: He does like a Jimmy It's like a Jimi Hendrix vibe Yeah Yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't finish off the side that swell, if you ask me. But every song uh, on this entire side has been, a, has been an A, except for this one. Yeah, so. yeah that one's maybe a B, I would mm. say. Um, then you get to side four, which is the one
1: he's kinda do, he does at Bearsville with um, the, the kind of ad hoc bands. that it's was put called together. Baby
0: Needs a New Pair of S- Snakeskin Boots, a pop <laughs> operetta. And so there's kind of two major
1: songs on it. One is the version of Hello, It's Me that was a big hit for him. Um, which is recording has a great vibe. It sounds amazing. It's a reason it was a big mm-hmm. hit. Um, and the, it's interesting comparing it to the original NAS version, which has pretty much the same chord changes, but a very different kind of more melancholy feel where the Rundgren solo version has this kind of breezy quality to it. Um, it's a
0: huge improvement. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big improvement. Think. I
1: mean, you could tell it's still a good song when the Nas did it, but... And then the other kind of major song is Dust in the Wind, which Todd did not write, but it is a cool song.
0: Moogie, Moogie
1: Klingman. <laughs> yeah. Right. So mm. um, the rest of Side 4 <clears throat> are kind of like, you know, kind of jokey, kind of quicky potboiler songs that are kind of not really in the style so much of the rest of the record. Right. It, to me yeah.
0: m- almost all of them are skipparoos i mean you got one that's about venereal disease one that's has the, the word piss in it it just seems to be <laughs> in, the, in the title yeah, yeah in the title piss i Aaron. mean so it just seems to be not just offhanded but uh, uh, you know almost seen as not up to the standard of the rest of the material so usually when i play this record
1: If I will play uh, Up to Hello It's Me Then call it a day Right (laughs) It's usually pretty much What I do
0: Right Because come on Some folks is even Whiter than me (laughs) Then a VD song Then Slut That's how it ends Something
1: Anything Is obviously like A Rosetta Stone record For me It's kind of like One of the ways That I like Understand music In my brain So this is what It's one of my top Ten favorite albums Of all time And it's five stars
2: Yeah Massively I'm massively Influenced by it Um, it's feels like it's branded into my chest. Five stars.
0: All right. So look, even with all the crap that's on it, uh, not crap, but just, you know, um, in relation to the rest of it, there's just too much killer top shelf shit on this for it not to be disproportionately reflected in the rating. So I'll give it four and a half. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Todd would be like,
2: oh, sorry. Did I give you too much
0: music? <laughs> <laughs> so, phase two, deep spiritual leanings that trump power, fame, and money, 1973 to 75. So, in 2017, Rundgren delivered a commencement speech to the Berklee College of Music in which he stated, in part, I made this crazy record called The Wizard of True Star in which I threw out all the rules of record making and decided I would try to imprint the chaos in my head onto a record without trying to clean it up for everyone else's benefit. The result was a complete loss of about half of my audience at that point. (laughs) And so I have a special pride for what essentially was my act of tyranny after having achieved commercial success. This became the model for my life after that. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing... 1973 is a wizard, a true star. Wow. <laughs> Real fucking icebreaker, guys. All right, so uh, uh, this guy's uh, now a star, That's where fucking you play star, international right? feel, and then he becomes kind of sort of a star at this you know? point. He really is, actually. He, he kind of is. So he comes This is the back one point to... in his life where he is sort of a star. Okay, this guy's now kind of a pop star, okay? He's in New York. For the first time in his life, he starts experimenting with, uh, with, with psychedelic drugs. DMT, mescaline, psilocybin, and uh, LSD. So he begins to think that his writing on something, anything, was formulaic, was lazy, and so he decides he wants to create a more eclectic and more experimental follow-up album. His music tastes have started to get weird. He's into Zappa, yes, and the Vaha, uh, the uh, Vishnu Orchestra. Um, and so... He said in 2010 it was fairly early on in my psychedelic exploration, so everything at that point is just pretty colors and this world of new discoveries. A wizard of true star is just like a baby trying to get back to an unimprinted point where all of this input doesn't necessarily have a preconceived meaning. I left it up to the listener to place it somewhere or rank it, evaluate it, remember it, forget it, whatever. Oh, well, good. That works out great for us, then. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Rado, come on, talk to me about this one. I mean, OK,
2: well, I said in the beginning of the show, you know, that this is like, a, it was a huge album for me, like blew my mind from the, I mean, OK do you want to just start off with the songs you want to talk about what we just talk about this album I no, mean, yeah let's talk about the we, thing we'll, I
1: think we'll, we we'll get, get to the music we can talk about the okay. songs and I think the rest of it will come out as we go because it's, do, it's okay. sort of endemic to what the album is how the way it was I mean, made it just
2: and, opens up in like one of the most powerful ways that I've ever heard an album starting up just a, like a synthesizer kind of like turning on like you know airplane like revving up noise yeah and then just international feel which is one of the most like blown out frankly when i f- heard it for the first time i was like oh this is where like uh, tame impala got right. their idea you know like it's like the basis of like that is true by the way it yeah i mean it sounds like 2000 it sounds like
0: 2013 cypher <laughs> right. i love you know? i i also love that <laughs> his you know he's talking about taking it somewhere very very different from something anything and yet his grasp of melody has not, has not uh, diminished in the least. This is a great, great song. It's fucked up and crazy and thoroughly ambitious. And you could tell he's going for the rafters, but the melody is the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, the melody is
2: incredible. Yeah. Incredible, incredible melody. The production is so awesome. It is just so awesome. That yeah. drum sound
0: is so cool. You know, it's, it's interesting. Two drum sets. I for, think. for a guy who is so obsessed with Sonics, what is the idea of jamming so much music uh, on the record? It's fifty-five minutes, fifty-six <laughs> seconds. Okay, this is one of the longest single-disc LPs ever cut. And um, you know, typically you got seventeen to twenty minutes right you guys you probably know more uh, than I about the allowabilities of a vinyl side he went even further I believe with initiation Uh, he's packing as much as possible on an album so much so that you can actually uh, cause damage to the record with the wrong kind of record yeah well this is one where if you listen to the actual vinyl I have this I have not the original vinyl but a
1: reissue that Rhino did it does sound pretty crazy, c- packing that much onto one record. There's well, not- towards
2: the ends.
0: Towards yeah, the
1: right.
2: ends of the records, you really hear... Why
0: did like, he... I wonder end. why he
1: did that. For this one, you can kind of see why, because it's not as crazy. Um, it still sounds pretty gnarly. Why not it? a double album? Too expensive.
0: It's well, too, ex- too
1: expensive
2: or something. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, look. Look at all the double albums he did. I
2: think that the, le- the actual length of it is not enough to put over two albums. It actually fits closely to one. It does. You know, like it's possible to do. Right. We did this with Star Power, too. Like it it does like we put too much on it as well on the vinyl and you can hear it. It's an homage Decay at the end Which is
0: a <laughs> little homage Yeah. So is it actually homage Just to kind of get to that well, They just made a long record That wasn't going to fit on <laughs> Yeah well
2: no I mean we thought about it And we I was referencing The Wizard of True Star vinyl as well That's awesome Because I remember Todd was, Todd talked about that Like how on You know Did you purposely
0: plan out The length of time on the sides To make sure that you were Fucking the sound on the album up?
2: No It just happened that okay, way okay. You know but the last track on Star Power is a lot like Just One Victory. And so it is sort of a, no- I mean, th- all of Star Power is a nod to this and something, anything down to like, we named all the sides. Right, you right, know, right. It's recording experiments like banter, um, mm. you know, down to the too much music on the vinyl and the locked <laughs> group. Like it's all, right, right. it's all in there. Like this is like, those two albums are probably, you know, the t- two of the most influential things like music, movies, art, whatever, of my life. Right. So yep. take, a,
0: take us as a tour guide through side one, the non-soul, more acid-leaning side of A Wizard, A True Star. Take our hands and guide us through this experience. International <laughs> feel, then, then right. where are we? Then there's kind of the medley bit. Peter Pan, right?
2: Yeah, Never Neverland. you get the Peter Pan song, Fucking which is amazing. a crazy, you know, a crazy move. To cover, have track two just be it, another weird Todd idea, just like a, a cover as track two.
0: But it is also, in my mind, unquestionably the best show tune foray he's ever had in his career. <laughs> oh yeah, that's well, a great well, song. Every other show tune foray is for the garbage mm, can.
2: <laughs> okay, well I, I I love it. Yeah, I, I love, love it. Too. But I also love the, the. Well, we'll get there. Um, you know there it's. Really cool. It blends in. All the songs blend into each other.
0: This is an unbroken song suite. And these songs, except for international feel, they clock in yeah. at about a minute. Yeah. So Tick, 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 it wears off. Brilliant. Yeah. Say like
1: a rocker like that, at, at like a minute long, it doesn't really overstay its welcome. Right. So it's just like in and out. And that, that one seems to really kind of fit in great.
2: That transition is just like, it like it's one of those moments in my life where it's, it just like i'd never heard anything like that and something clicked
0: right and i was yeah.
2: like oh like wow you can just do you can just cut it you know it's just a tape right cut. It's right
0: awesome yeah a lot of razor blades back then for all kinds of yeah. reasons this is such an interesting kind of also the place where he is
1: like time and place wise because he's still kind of writing those kind of pop things but he's getting a lot more ambitious and it's like it's when he got more ambitious and went more into this direction, it's like it kind of went off the rails a little bit. Truly
2: mm. weird music. This is truly weird
1: music. But this is like a sweet spot where he's like still on the rails and, and everything's kind of clicking. You know? I don't know
0: why he yeah. couldn't somehow keep this whole thing up. Because it went from this to a treatise on Cosmic Fire in two years well we see it a
1: lot on the show you know it's like artists like this don't like to do this don't like to repeat themselves you know it's, yeah it's but, pretty
0: common but we see for it him almost. not to recognize his strengths
2: there's just an excitement i feel like there's an excitement because he, he had okay so at this point he had moved into his own studio right right so this he had set up all his own equipment he was engineering like he was playing all the instruments he was re- doing all those new drugs <laughs> everything yeah. was like everything was just like yeah 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 it's working it's working it's working you know i feel yeah. like th- and then that obviously like wears off over time yeah like you can't take Adderall mm-hmm. for that long
1: well, you uh, get pat when you get past that like little medley bit and then there's kind of some more substantial like zen archer is kind of like the the kind of centerpiece yeah. of that side one and that's another one where it's like it's kind of experimental but it's like that I one really, that that one really so hits much. the bullseye of you know him yeah. being ambitious
0: let, let's mm, yeah. let's go back up to where okay. we were because mm-hmm. rock and roll pussy apparently is rock about and roll pussy is
2: j- really it's, it's, insane. It's apparently John about Lennon. John Lennon, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which yeah.
0: is which is you know because he takes another pot shot at him on uh, Utopia's deface the music, uh, and then of course and they healing. had that
1: feud, they had the public feud kind of. Um, this is I
0: think the first pot shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Dodd fight giggle, which is less a song than a. Extremely disturbing soundscape a la several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a picked. Insane. And then flamingo. Flamingo's strangely, awesome.
2: Strangely influential song for me. I don't yeah? know
0: why. Just stuck with me. Well, we talked about Zen Archer. Uh, just another onion head, da da dolly. So here's uh interesting th- interesting little piece. Apparently Albert Grossman was very supportive of this record, which can you imagine a manager being like, "Yeah, it's a good direction it's, for
1: you." He would keep coming in the studio, and they'd be working on like the craziest shit. Like they working yeah. on like da da dolly, da da dolly. Yeah, And
0: he's like, "Yeah, cool, sounds yeah. great." Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the seventies <70s laughs>
0: were sick. Yeah, what a time! Uh, so I love that song, and I love "You Want the Obvious, yeah. You'll Get the Obvious." Yeah. It's great. That whole, I mean, it's so cool. it's a stunning piece of music. It yeah. really is. And When the Shit Hits the Fan, Sunset Boulevard, fucking epic. That, that one's awesome. kind of like the, where it peaks,
1: you know? That's kind of mm. like, it's all building to that. That's, yeah. It's, yeah. That's four, such it's a great, four minutes. Uh, yeah. Such a great, uh,
0: like that hook and that and everything. It Sunset is Balloon. so awesome, yeah. that's yeah, great. And it's uh, like a strain of his music that's kind of never really captured again. The uh, Field Antoinette Nacional. Re- got old Reprise. The uh, Reprise, that's intro. 26 minutes, 21 seconds of music. Yeah. What would this album be without <laughs> the international feel Reprieve. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, that's a great album side. Yeah. That's an all-timer. Yeah. Uh, then side two. Side two is amazing. Uh, it kicks yeah. off with sometimes I don't know what to feel. It's, yeah. it's really off-putting how earnest and straight-faced is, this is after 26 minutes of total fucking acid-fried lunacy. Uh, but it kicks yeah. the soul side off in a very stately way. Could have been on something, anything, I feel like. Yeah. Really groovy. Mm-hmm.
2: Just like Great good f- good groove. It's awesome. If he's playing drums on that, I don't know. I feel like on this side of it, he's, it's always he's a sides guy. All of yeah. his al- all yeah. albums have like, oh, on this side now. Mm-hmm. I think on this side, too, there's like more backing band people. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think he's not doing quite as much. Is that the himself. case? Okay. I, that's what I... Having listened to it thousands of times, I have imagined in my mind.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I think this is all Todd. <laughs> I, I might be mistaken, but I think this one's all Todd. Okay. Maybe, maybe he snuck Moogie I've... in there. Hmm.
0: <laughs> the next tune has always been one of my favorites. It's one of the greatest 90-second pop songs of all time. Sorry, Robert Pollard. Does Anybody Love You? It was a sta- staple of your mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, because always when you get to the end of a side of, uh, of, a, of a tape... Uh, there's never a long enough tune. Does anybody love you has gone at the end of a lot of sides, mixtapes for me. <laughs> okay, then we get to the medley. Talk to me about the medley, guys.
2: I skip the medley. You do? Nowadays. it yeah. is? Yeah, it's
1: so kind of it's kind of cool. It's it's definitely like him being like. Uh, contrarian putting this on here, right? It seems
0: like I a know, sort it's of very one, conscious head fake, right? But no, right? but that's the weird thing. But that's so what he says, right? I, he says in retrospect. Have, Joe, you and I have had lots of conversations uh, not any time recently <laughs> about <laughs> this and its inclusion on the record, and strangely, in my research for this, it seems like he thinks this is the most psychedelic gesture of them all. I mean, I guess in a it way. Is, depends it is on how you really defend it. psychedelic. Do you think so, Well Okay, talk to me about that. Well,
2: I think it's a really psychedelic idea. It's a big psychedelic medley of a bunch of like
0: soul songs. I mean, it is. It's so vague. It's kind of like vagacy, though, almost.
2: Yeah, but I, I see this is where I, I think that it's actually truly psychedelic. You know, like there's psychedelic music, and that's like a genre, and then there's like a psychedelic idea. Like this
1: Yeah He's doing the whole thing Just to set up the Like the joke Of doing cool jerk In seven You know So he does cool jerk In like seven four I think it's like all like <laughs> It's all just building to that So you can like Pull the rug out And do like This weirdo yep. version Of cool jerk Something that four people Would get <laughs> Yeah it's like Zappa. <laughs> me, me being one of them Yeah the sort of next bit after that's kind of the rabbit hole part so you get kind of hungry for love that's not a good song and is it my name are, are kind of those are probably now, is it my
0: name is not that good yeah either. so those are the two kind of uh those I are th- like
2: i don't want to tie you down and is it my name? yeah i not. don't want
0: to tie you down it's a different story yeah, i tell you i don't want to tie you down it's great that's a work that's a work of tremendous majesty that's a whole <laughs> different fucking deal <laughs> um a beautiful song and yeah. it's under two minutes i mean it yeah but somehow that wended itself into this pool of of uh Huh? Yeah. material.
1: But then it closes out triumf- triumphantly just with the Just victory. One Victory. Yeah, that's just an anthem. So, you know, the overall, like, we just kind of went through it song by song, and it's, that's, there's a lot of great shit on that. Let
0: me, let me talk as an overall, please. This is something that I cannot stop thinking about. S- sometimes conceptually, something about music will just, uh, will just not leave my mind. And this is one of those things. When Robert Altman did M.A.S.H., he had the world at his feet. He had whatever career he wanted to have. What he chose to do from an endlessly possible pool of material was a movie called Brewster McCloud with Bud Cort. Any Any of you guys seen that movie? No, Rado. No, I have, I have not. Okay, no, ra-
2: I'm aware of it, but I okay, haven't seen
0: it. Rado, you especially, as a professional contrarian, have got to see and this an movie. Actor. And an actor and a raconteur, on tour because you're that fucking good. But I was on he, weeds. You were on weeds. Did you know that? I didn't. I was know on that. weeds
2: and community.
0: Okay, that's oh, my that's my fun fact. dude. Yeah,
2: yeah. I am an actor. Okay, let's I know go. you're an
0: actor. I introduced you as such. But okay, so after Mash, Robert Altman, uh, he released a record called Bruce. Uh, not a record. I'm getting my media confused. Released a movie called Brewster McCloud, starring Bud Cort. And it's about a guy who's obsessed with learning how to fly. And the big running gag in the movie is, is just birds shitting on people. It's the greatest what-in-the-fuck contrarian response to a popular piece of media that I have ever seen. Uh, and so this is always the comparison point to me. So throughout Todd's career, he's never had such a biz- big success as something-anything but his response to all successes is always with the Brewster McLeod um, uh, perspective. And to me, that's just interesting. So the structure of the LP is odd, dazzling, staggering. It's a timeless album, and Todd's willful negation of his own success makes it one for the ages. I mean, there's a couple moments that seem to me to be either psych or soul filler, but overall that's quibbles. It's top shelf, Todd. I give it five stars. Yeah. So <clears throat>
1: I mean, you know, th- th- there's just the, the ratio of good material on it. And the fact that it's surprisingly out of all his records has sort of aged so well. It's such kind of a strong flavor in terms of production. And like it, it, it has this crazy blown out sound. But somehow that one seems to really have a contemporary kind of feel to it. It's, it
2: seems like it's aged really, really well. So five stars for me, too. Um, one of the best albums of all time. A studio masterpiece. Uh, one man coming apart And putting himself back together again hmm. A thousand times over Five and a half stars all I right.
0: love it I love it
1: All right. I so now we move on Todd. to Todd <coughs> So well, it, to me the Todd album Is sort of the end of a cycle the, I, To me I mm-hmm. group all these records You know uh, Especially the Ballad of Something Anything Wizard of True Star and Todd Are kind of like uh, what we call at the show Todd's Imperial Phase um, you when know, he, when you don't really think
0: initiation del- belongs in that grouping? <laughs> initiation
1: to me is the start of something different. Interesting. You know? um, I think
0: I see that as the same.
1: Yeah. I, to me, Todd is kind of where this sort of cycle of these records, where he's kind of just putting all his songs out there, and I guess Wizard's a little bit less, less like that. But I always think I always group this one with those other kind of major works. Um, this one kind of sp- it's this kind of splits the difference between something, anything, and Wizard, a true star. It has a little bit of the experimentation of the latter and a little bit of the kind of song-orientedness of the former. Um, it's not as focused as either of those. It's not quite as, like, you know, there are some stretches where there's some kind of fillery stuff, but I like this record a lot, and I'm interested to talk about it. What do you think of, of Todd,
2: Jonathan? I think it's just so awesome. I, I don't know. I I don't love it quite as much as the, the Wizard of True Star or something, anything, but I think it's, like, one of my favorite... Um, uh stu- i don't know i I love studio albums, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that this is like very much just like another kind of like just doing stuff in the studio, making songs for the sake of making songs kind of yeah. thing and it it's just it's really fun, especially the first time my first time hearing it, I had an amazing experience mm-hmm. I just thought it, you know it's just so fun to listen to. I think some there's some longer so it's like Wizard of True Star is really brief and I feel like right. this song has like some a lot of longer songs that maybe I yeah I, I kind of noticed as that is I noticed that as well the the thing it's that jammy that, yeah the thing that kind of
1: docks it a little bit is some of the, the some of the kind of more experimental tunes and some of the ones that are kind of lesser songs tend to be long like that like five minutes and up there's like yeah. a, there's a
2: few Something, of those. anything he keeps it he keeps even the angers really small i, I need to talk, i
0: need to talk about my relationship to this record so it's yeah. a, it's a very complex one i always think i like it better than i do so every time i approach it it's with a it's with a tone of excitement uh to rediscover it and then i find always that i'm bored the high points <laughs> the high points are amazing i mean the high points yeah. are fucking incredible um You know, I I think, you know, I was talking before about how something, anything conceivably could possibly be reduced to a disc. This one is totally not an argument. It unquestionably should have been a single. Um, At two records, this is work. And it feels always to me like work. It's also one of the most esoterically overpadded, deliriously overstuffed double albums in rock history. Um, uh, It confuses me. There's six great songs, um, and that's, you know, the six great songs. I think you know an LP's worth of tunes. A dream goes on forever, is that love? Don't you ever learn? Sons of 1984. Um, I would add. I don't. A few more I don't really that. love. I don't even like anything else on the record.
1: I think I clocked it at more like eight to ten things that I liked, and then I even oh, yeah. like. A, so the whole first side.
0: Yeah, we're I gonna like. go through it, obviously. Yeah. But.
1: So if side one. I Think You Know, The Spark of Life, LP's Worth of Tunes, Dream Goes On Forever. Those first four. You know, the Spark of Life is kind of maybe the controversial one. It's kind of like a six-minute long kind of synth soundscape. Yeah. Bloops and squiggles. <laughs> I actually like
0: it. I like <laughs> it. You do? You guys do?
2: I, I always I think listen you to know. it. I Think You Know is really good. Yeah, I Think You Know song.
0: is awesome. That's a great that's song. That's uh, you know, one of his great spacey
1: ballads. So I always stick with the Spark of Life. I always listen to that when I put this record on. I
2: like how about a little fanfare or whatever. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah, I forgot about that first one, yeah. song. Yeah. that's sick.
1: Um, so and yeah, L- I think it starts off great. LP's worth the tunes. Then Dream goes. On LP's forever.
0: worth the tunes is great. It's uh, it's
2: really fun. That's yeah, like it the is. first time. It's like,
0: oh, I love it. I love I mean, it, a Dream Goes right. On Forever could have been on something, anything. That's, that, a, that's great a great pop song. Classic song. So, pretty good start. So, we're yes. four songs in. But so the problem If you buy start, in The Spark of Life, especially, that's a pretty good side. But the problems start at Lord Chancellor's Nightmare Yeah, And so then it gets and They a don't little, stop.
1: Uh, well, so <laughs> yeah. there's another kind of Gilbert and Sullivan one. And then Drunken Burley Rooster kind of like a weird instrumental. So, not super essential. But then The Last Ride, that's kind of like. Last Ride's cool. That's a canonical Todd song. I, I think, think, I think any Todd fan, minor. I think I, any Todd fan would tell you that's a kind of a, a key song.
2: I just don't get yeah. it. I like the last ride. I don't. It's get like it. a ut- it feels like utopia, <laughs> more like utopia, <laughs> right, or something. The last which is right, ride around
0: the yeah. <clears throat> right around
2: the
1: corner. right around the corner. But then it's the next ones that are so you get uh, everyone's gonna have it King Kong reggae, which is very fillery.
2: That's and what this is kind of like. It just occurred to me actually that this is kind of like just utopia. It's like his he's start he's starting to like just formulate. He that didn't idea. do
0: guys. He wasn't a cokehead, was it? Did he have a coke period? No, that was the seventies. But like King was. Kong reggae, that part of the song sounds like. Cocaine music. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know if he's known for it's that cool. kind of stuff. The
1: title seems kind of cocainey.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, no, it just sounds like you know that really bad Jefferson Starship stuff that. Is like Is not aged well It's interesting Bringing up like the utopia thing Because see
1: We we had a hard No utopia rule For right. this episode And right. I always kind of Feel like utopia Is sort of where Like he, the dumping ground For his not as good material Or like the stuff That's even too weird To try his experiments Which there is are, There's an occasional Good utopia song Sometimes he sticks A gem in there But
0: I love how this is a guy Who consistently releases Double albums But he needs a side project a, yeah. For his shitty okay. material <laughs> <laughs> um, So yeah So there's some of those That's kind of a rough Little stretch
1: So this whole yeah, this middle part. Side of records, 2 sucks. This middle part is the kind of worst part. Side 2 is awful. But then I like the, all the bunch of the next ones. So like the whole like useless begging, Sidewalk Cafe, Heavy Metal Kids segment I quite no. like. What do you think I about that whole that. next bit? I useless like Begging, it. Sidewalk Cafe.
2: I like Useless Begging. I like Sidewalk Cafe. Is That Love is amazing. amazing. Is That Love is a classic. It is so good. It's yeah. so late in the album and it's it's just the single. It's so good. It's beyond good. I like heavy metal kids too. I nah. mean, it's yeah. Jokies. That's one of the rockers
1: that I like, and you know, his rockers are kind of like a kind of a mixed bag. But I do like that one works for me. It's jokey. I like the
2: recording. I mm-hmm. think it's cool. Yeah, it's kind of a cool riff. Um, In and out of the chakras we go. I d- don't know. That's one's. That's about. another six minutes of kind of.
1: Yeah, kind of yeah. You around. don't need to get to know. That I don't really man. Mess But then with it closes that out one. strong because you get. Don't okay, you never, so don't yeah, ever those,
0: learn. those two songs are sick. So, you know Don't You Ever Learn is one of my Three favorite Todd songs It's just bursting at the seams With this wh- Guys, can you just talk to me about why There's this Unending sense of mystery in that song um, <laughs> And the melodic invention That always figures in Every time I hear it uh, It's just such a stunning song What is it about the chord sequence Or the way that it's written uh, that, that, uh, Why that does that to me
1: I don't know. It's just sort of like a question mark of a f- musical figure. You know, it's yeah. kind of every line of the of the chord change is sort of and the and the melody that goes along with it in the right hand is sort of this like quizzical like question asking <laughs> sort of phrase.
0: You know, like da 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 right. yeah, all yeah, that. yeah. 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 It's just. So unbelievable! But then, at the I end mean, of that
1: whole sequence, it resolves in this like super satisfying way. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the 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 very super crunchy Todd chords at the end, yeah, like really resolves like uh, majestically. So, you know, the that's one of, of my
0: favorite songs of his of all time. Ever, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the sign of a great song is that there is no other song in existence that captures the exact mood that this one does. There's no song that has the vibe that "Don't You Ever Learn" has.
2: It's truly, it's just a super original, super original sounding song. I mean, he's got a lot. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of Todd songs to me that have that vibe where it's like that is Todd Rundgren, like doing something pretty original.
0: So Sons of 1984, let's talk about the um, let's talk about why there's a large amount of people singing on that. Oh, you had to if you bought
1: the last album and you sent in a card. card, you could be part of come to the studio and sing on it or something. Yeah, there was some like some live that thing. was yeah. an Albert Grossman thing.
0: All right.
1: Yeah, and your name would be printed on the poster of, of, the, the, time of the record, record. Yeah, which yeah. my dad's name is printed in.
0: Is that true? That's right. He didn't Do go. You to have the, it? He didn't.
1: I have it. He didn't go to the um, session thing to sing on the thing, but they did print his name in the jacket.
0: That is so cool. Uh, uh, that's really cool Yeah, that's awesome So He was that big a fan <coughs> uh, So th- this is a concert sing-along uh, And it's great It really is Like, Rado, you were talking about these great Todd album closers This is a double yeah. album You gotta get a great song closing it out He did
2: Yeah, and I know and, he d- and it's a live recording, too It's so weird It's such a weird thing To have such a massive single It's like running on Empty mm-hmm. or something Yeah It's like it's so. It's one of these weird things where it's like, yeah, this was recorded live in front of an audience. Uh,
0: I give this one two and a half stars. The peaks are (laughs) ascendant AF, but uh, ultimately there's just way too much filler to to qualify this as a a great record. Right, we're
1: rarely more than a star apart, but we are in this one. So I gave I gave Todd four stars, and I'm I'm firm in my conclusion that is a I get it is a four star album. I get it.
2: I'm gonna say a controversial five. Wow. Holy shit! The best filler album of all time. I just want to talk about the cover of Todd and how
0: perfect all of these covers are. It's funny to, the, to the cover. Albums. His fucking face to me he's always like looks so dour. Like yeah, kind of oh, yeah what that's what the album the sounds. Oh, like. oh, it is okay. <laughs> okay,
2: that's exactly what the album sounds like. I don't know, he's got that just faded thing. I,
0: look, here on Discog Graffiti, we love contention. That's a zesty uh, discussion on Todd. Yeah, yeah. And so, right. with, so with great fondness toward you and everything you represent, I would like to say with, with open arms, fuck you, my friend. I disagree completely. <laughs> hey, what about me? Disagree with me, too. I love, I, I love and hate both of you right now. All right, so <laughs> we, I, you guys, I love this total dissension. Mm-hmm. So what happens right after this record is Todd Rundgren's Utopia, their first record, is released. The first of many records, most of them outright shite from this band. A concurrently running project throughout his long and fruitful career. That'll be a separate episode where we invite Rado back after he (laughs) smashes all records for this show. Uh, So in 1975, Initiation is released, isn't it, guys?
1: Yeah, so this yeah, one, yes. to me, represents kind of a different phase. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really kind of gotten this record, has never really kind of entered my... you know I, This has never really been one of my favorites, and it, that didn't really change on this go-around for me. Um, you know, I love great musicianship as much as anybody. You know, I love, like, Yes and King Crimson and, like, the Black Page and shit and, like, John McLaughlin and <laughs> all kinds <laughs> of crazy players. But the thing, to me, for Prague you know this is kind of where todd kind of starts going kind of prog and i really only like the really like the very top tier Prague, like second tier Prague, where it's not like super elite musicians i it just it's
0: not really that fun That's do you let radio? or are you what's your stance on initiation How, what's your feelings um, on this i agree with joe i okay i like
2: real man a lot. That's a great song. That's a fucking
0: manifesto. That it's so he's always cons- got one. He's okay, always yeah. got. He's always uh-huh. got the one. But that that's song. The, is I saw the light for him. You it's know. a great song. And, and here's my argument for the record. Regardless of how you feel about the entirety of the rest of it, "Real Man" is him throwing down. Not just as in his career, but in in all the lyrics. This is him as a man cu- looking around and taking stock. So I get it. If you guys. I don't even know if you guys hate this record or...
1: Well, you know, musically, you know, th- th- that song's amazing. But then it really kind of like gets into... It gets weird. It, the whole side the
0: whole side two, I just can't do it all. Side two is a demonstration of the principle that I have to follow my muse no matter where it takes mm. me. So you got to appreciate it, even if you don't, even if you can't get behind it. And you and me cannot get behind it. Radio, can, Radio, can you... Uh, Radio can Jonathan Radio radio can do it
2: (laughs) Radio has been known to Throw it on You know if you want to listen to something Pretty like backgroundy You know I I can think about it like that That's kind of You know just in the background Put on side two (laughs) I don't know I've I've done that maybe a few times In my life Mm -hmm.
0: This is like a Um, strange place to be Because as a fan of Todd's And we are all avowed fans of Todd's this is a guy saying I know what I want out of life and you got to love that he does because we're fans. Yet what he wants out of life as we gather to our chagrin potentially our horror is that what he wants to do is make boring middling music about spirituality that not many people of the hoi polloi can wrap their heads around. I'll say this about side 2 that
1: I in my head I kind of had pictured it as like a uh, a very prog sounding it's actually more kind of like him doing like a Tangerine Dream record or something. Right, it's right. actually kind of more like kind of new agey synth goop stuff. Synth farts. Which I actually like a lot, usually. Uh, <laughs> it's usually yeah. like, like my kind of this. jam. But he's, it's not really, uh, right, you know, it's, right. it's not really of like, you know, super, it's not really as good as like a Tangerine Dream record. Let's you know, talk about moment. how
0: this album is 67 minutes on one record. <laughs> that's and insane. In, that's nuts. So <laughs> that's there's in the liner notes, Uh, What it says is, technical note, due to the amount of music on this disc over one hour, two points must be emphasized. First, if your needle is worn or damaged, it will ruin the disc immediately. Because the grooves are like so
1: teeny, 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 tiny that if you play it with some shitty, like broad needle, it's like it's just going to rip the record apart.
0: Secondly, if the sound does not seem loud enough on your system, try re recording the music onto tape. By the way, thanks for buying the album. That doesn't even
1: make any fucking sense. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Add some more noise into it and record it onto a date. So
0: here's why he released it on one record. There's actually a reason this time. There was a plastic shortage. So in order to keep the album on one vinyl record, he had to limit and EQ the master, so the bass response was rolled off to keep the grooves small enough to cut onto a single disc. He also had to speed up the first half of side one, and speed up the entirety of side two to eliminate two to three minutes from each side.
2: That's cool. Yeah, but
0: yeah, what's your overall take on uh, on this
1: record on initiation?
2: It's minor. I, I think it's a minor work. I think he was maybe doing a lot of shit this year, and he's kind of like Woody Allen, like he just wants to put out one thing a year or something. Yeah, you know, like it's it feels like it, like he had a few ideas and then he just filled it up.
0: Okay, I would like to mention three other songs, two of which I think are great. The Death of Rock and Roll, uh, that's kind of a killer tune. That's I probably think. my
1: second favorite thing on it after Real Man. That's kind of one of those, like uh, it's kind of like Heavy Metal Kids or something, maybe
0: more like yeah. revved up and slightly more kick-ass or something. But, that it's one, a run-grin it, rocker. Also, it's, it's Feeder cool. on the Ground, so if you're like, what the fuck is all this spiritual shit, it's a, kind of a good one. Mm-hmm. Eastern Intrigue. Uh, Joe you and I differ on this one that one I don't like yeah um, I think it's a good tune not top shelf because of the sort of caustically mocking verses uh, which gets on my nerves but ultimately a good tune I think an initiation the title track I, uh, I love
2: I gotta be honest. I don't. I. I don't remember what Eastern Intrigue or. um, Yeah, it's it's not really very. It's it's not really very memorable. And
1: to be honest, like going back and listening to it for this, I didn't really remember a lot of it. I was. I I was. A lot of it was like, oh wait, that's how that sounds. Like I don't. You guys,
0: so I'm. I'm not being needlessly contrarian. I give this four stars. I gave this two,
1: and this is by far my least favorite of the sort of this era.
0: Okay. Yeah. How about you, Rito? I'll give it two and a half
2: because Real Man, I think, is one of his
0: best. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fair. Uh, Anyway, so that brings us to the end of uh, the end of initiation. That's the end of episode one of Todd Rundgren's foray into doing stuff. (laughs) Uh, So catch us on all the social medias, all the platforms uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you name it, we're there. We're present. We're accounted for. Right.
1: And Jonathan will be returning for some of part two. That's right. Little, Only little some
0: because he can't hang with uh, mm. stuff as it gets 80. one can hardly blame him. Yeah. So what, <laughs> the, all the deep, dark work is left to us. It's okay. So uh, we do this for you so you don't have to. So catch us on all the platforms. Uh, listen to us constantly. Give us all kinds of great five-star ratings. Uh, we're catching on. Thanks to you guys. We love you so much. See you next time on Disco Graffiti.